we've looked at um, the Father's part in our salvation. We've looked at Jesus's part in our salvation. And now we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's part in our salvation in the last two verses. Uh, it's interesting, as you read the book of Ephesians, there's actually six or eight, eight references to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it starts right here in this passage. And it's a ministry which is very personal. Many times we pray and we sometimes address, Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven is how we should pray, to our Father in heaven, God the Father. Jesus called God the Father. And sometimes people pray to God and what they're really doing is they're talking about God the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, because he's the one who's alive and active and working in our lives. He's the one who, if the Father plans and the Son executes the plan, the Holy Spirit is the one who applies the ministry, the work that Jesus has done for us. So the Holy Spirit is, the, is, the, is God who works in us, through us, around us, all those things. We just sang kindness. It's your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance, says the song. So it's a verse, as Tim mentioned, from the book of Romans. And it's the God ministry, of Holy, the Holy Spirit's ministry, is what leads people to repentance. So they might trust in Jesus Christ. So when we pray for our friends, uh, have you talked to your friends about Jesus? Sometimes they, they look at you like you're nuts. And we need to pray to God that the Holy Spirit will do his business. Because the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus in John chapter 16, is in the ministry of convicting people of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So he's the one who's at work, if you will. The Father plans, Jesus executes the plan, and the Holy Spirit applies the plan to us in that way. So we're going to focus on that very present and reality uh, of, the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us this morning in that way. And this ministry is the ministry of knowing something. A little ad says that, um, on the back says, life is difficult or life is complicated. We think Jesus is the answer. And the reason we pick that language is because we don't want to appear arrogant. But actually, I don't just think it. I have a deep-seated knowledge of it, that Jesus is the answer. I have a deep-seated knowledge that Jesus is the answer. Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's what we call the ministry of assurance, or the ministry of knowing who you are. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to, Paul is going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in that place, in that passage, that we can know who we are, what our destiny is, and be encouraged in that light. So it's a very important idea as we look through it. As we look through the book of Ephesians overall, we see six or seven things about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, well, maybe nine things. It says in this passage, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It says in this passage that he's the earnest of our inheritance. It says later in chapter 2 that we have access to God the Father by one Spirit. It says we are a habitation of God by his Spirit. It talks about the revelation of the Spirit. Open the eyes of our heart, it's going to say in the passage next week as we look at it next week. Uh, and then it talks about the inner man being strengthened by the Holy Spirit later on. And then we talk about the unity of the Spirit. We don't have to work towards unity. God has already given us unity. True Christians are indeed unified because of one Spirit. You don't have to make it happen. It's one of those illusions that you've got to belong to the right church and all the churches have got to come together. No, we're already one. We need to maintain the unity which is in the Spirit, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And then two great commands about the Holy Spirit. 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's not like the force. Sometimes I demonstrate it and I say, you know, the Holy Spirit, oftentimes people talk about the Holy Spirit as if he's some kind of, some kind of force like gravity. You know, gravity is a great thing, isn't it? It keeps you planted on the ground. Unless, of course, you're falling off the edge of a cliff. Gravity becomes a bad thing. Gravity doesn't care whether you're falling off a cliff or whether you're stuck to the ground. It's an it. It's a force. If I drop this, Joe, can I drop this? Ah, gravity's in operation. It's working its thing. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a force who you can control. A lot of people think the Holy Spirit is kind of like, well, I gotta, I gotta do it. It's like the force, may the force be with you. We learned that phrase from Star Wars from, what, 19, 40 years ago almost, for heaven's sakes. A lot of people think the Holy Spirit is this force, may, may the Holy Spirit be. No, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He's a person. He has feelings. He has passions. He has a will. He has a desire. He's God. Tell God what to do unless he's promised he's going to do it. Then you're allowed to remind God that he's promised something. In fact, that's quite important to do that. So grieve not the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then we have this weapon, the sword of the Spirit, mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. And then lastly, Paul talks about prayer and supplication in this. But we get a whole study on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us in the book of Ephesians. And we're just going to look on this basic idea of the Holy Spirit confirming to us after we've believed what the Father planned and what Jesus has brought about by his death on the cross, by the blood which he shed for us on the cross. The key verse, in one sense, to the whole of the book of Ephesians is chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms and with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And one of these blessings we get in the heavenly realms is this idea of being sealed and this idea of having a down payment put on us, which we'll look at in just a moment. We're sealed and a down payment. It's a blessing. When was the last time you thanked God or you blessed him? For what he's doing in your life we, we need to do that on an ongoing basis you, you know the opposite of praising god or blessing god is the ministry of complaining and grumbling that's what got the israelites into trouble in the old testament they complained they grumbled they grumbled against god they were wandering around in the desert they didn't know where they were going oh we wish we were back in egypt they said we had leeks to eat they had good things. To, they forgot all the hard labor they were doing under the Egyptian slave masters. And Moses, the leader, fell into the same trap as the people he was leading. And God said to Moses, because he grumbled, you will not enter the promised land. You see, when you grumble and you complain about your lot in life, about the people around you, about your family, about your church family, when you grumble about those things, you cannot enter the place of blessing, the promised land. A spirit of thanksgiving is so important to have in our lives. It allows you to enter the place of blessing because the reality is, is that's where God's got us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in verses 15 through 19, which we'll look at next week, I said to Tim, oh, you've got this great passage next week, 15 through 19. <laughs> Can I stray into it a little bit this week? (laughs) 
I'm going to do my best not to stray into 15 through 19. It says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. He's going to introduce this idea of hope here in this ver these few verses we'll look at this morning. But that's the application of the whole of the book of Ephesians. That we'll know, we'll have this spirit of reverence, we'll know who we are, we'll know our position in Jesus Christ. We'll know our position of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, of our destiny being made sure. Paul wants the believers to receive from God the understanding of who they really are. We have a Father. He's got a plan for us. He's saved us from our sins. He did all the work by sacrificing his son. He sealed us. He's put the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment to guarantee our future and a billion other blessings as well. And he wants us to live in that light. Christian, stop complaining. Stop grumbling. It's not worth it. Because you don't enter the promised land. You don't enter the place of blessing. You remove, it doesn't mean to say you're not a Christian, don't get misunderstood. You're just not enjoying what God has for you. It's good to be in the place of blessing, praising Him for what He has for you. Because we have all these blessings in the, spirit, in, our, in, our, in the heavenly realms. Paul says in our passage this morning, in order that we, all these things, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The first thing to note is that we need to think through what that actually means in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ. In other words, we're the ones and there's more to follow, if you will. There's more people. We're going to hope in Christ so we might be for the praise of his glory. Who gets the glory in all of this? Oh, Tim read us those passages from Romans and 1 Corinthians the other week. Eh, the Father gets the glory. It's going to all wrap up one day. Everything's going to be back underneath him. It's going to be all as it should be and ought to be. Somebody say hallelujah. Because it's not all as it should be and ought to be now, is it? Hallelujah. <laughs> that means we've still got work to do. We still can live in faith by praising and choosing to praise when it's not as it ought to be in our lives and the lives of those who we love around us and the those who we want to love around us as well. So Paul says this in that, that verse, he says um, that we were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then he, just a quick definition of this word hope. It's a description in the sense of a Christian. Some of you know that I use, we've used this definition of a Christian from 1 Peter. A Christian is somebody who, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. So a Christian is somebody who loves and trusts Jesus. And by that, we can sort of go, who isn't a Christian? Those who don't love and trust Jesus. <laughs> How do you become a Christian? You stop loving and trusting what you used to love and trust, and you start loving and trusting Jesus. Is that too logical, too simple? How do you become a Wolves City fan? Well, you stop supporting Coventry City, where I was born, and you start supporting Wolves. 
It's not hard, is it? How do you become a Christian? Stop loving, trusting what you used to love and trust and start loving and trusting Jesus. That's called repentance in the Bible. Turning away from something, turning towards something else. What are the sorts of things people love and trust today? Oh, some in other religions love and trust other gods. In our secular West, people love and trust hmm, science, love and trust their own thinking, love and trust money, secular things like that. There's all kinds of things love and trust. People love and trust nominal cultural Christians, love and trust the traditions which they grew up with. I go to the right thing. I was, I never became a Christian because I was born a Christian. Nobody's born a Christian. You have to become one. You have to stop trusting what you were given as a human and start instead trusting and loving Jesus. And this passage uses the word hope. Those who hope in Jesus. Faith, love, hope, trust, love, hope. They're similar words. You understand? It's a slightly different idea, but it's the same thing. They hope in Christ. They hope in Christ. Now, the problem with the word hope in the English language is, you know, I have a friend, a colleague, and uh, he went to watch Peterborough play Birmingham City the other night. And he said, I, tonight I'm going to go and watch Peterborough lose to Birmingham. He's from Peterborough. That's who he supports. He had no hope. Actually, they ended up drawing. He was so happy. <laughs> I hope they might win. No, no, that's not biblical hope. That's not biblical hope. I, I, my children used to pray when, play, pray when they were little during winter. I'm hoping that it snows tomorrow. Daddy, can we pray for that? And I'd say, you know, there's more little old ladies out there praying that it doesn't snow tomorrow. <laughs> In this case, I suspect your prayers don't count for much because all those little old ladies are more righteous than you and actually they don't want it to snow. It, hoping for snow... Uh, that's not the right kind. Hoping for your team to win at football. None of those are biblical hope. Biblical hope, if I can find it this way, is the anticipation or expectation, the confident anticipation and expectation, particularly concerning the future and the unseen, that God has got it all wrapped up. That's the crass bit at the end. <laughs> The biblical, sorry, the confident anticipation or expectation. So it's future that God is going to do it. And you've got confidence, confidio, with trust that it's going to happen as well. Children are good at hoping. My daddy promised to me that we will go to McDonald's for breakfast tomorrow. And, and daddy takes you to breakfast tomorrow. That's a hope in what daddy can do or mummy can do. And that hope is fulfilled because parents have the ability to fulfill those kind of promises. And we as parents, sometimes we start making promises that we, we're human, we can't always keep very well, and hope can sometimes get diminished. If you're a parent, learn to keep your promises. Children need to have hope. And they need to have hope in you so they can transfer that hope to the Father, their Heavenly Father, when they become teenagers. That's the great transition teenagers need to make. Transfer their confidence, their faith, their hope in you as their parents to their heavenly father who's in heaven. You're sort of replica at that point. Oh, that's parenting. We've strayed from the 
track here, haven't we? Sorry. <laughs> Parents. So here's a Christian. A Christian is somebody who hopes. And how did they hope? It says it in the verse, doesn't it? In order that we who are the first hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You see, we get included in that when we trust what Jesus has done. When we trust the message of what Jesus has done and say, that's true, I trust it. We were included. How do you get included in being of... I'm a bit of a golfer, and I'm a bit of a fisherman. Well, I used to be. I've got golf clubs, and I've got fishing gear, but I haven't done either of those in a while. You see, you can have all the gear at home, but unless you do it, see, trust involves doing as well, doesn't it? You can't just have all the gear sitting at home in order to be a golfer or a fisherman. You've actually got to put it into action as well. And so trusting, when you trust, when you believe the message, that Jesus Christ died for you, that he rose from the dead for you, and then he wants to come into your life by his spirit and make you a new person. When you believe that message and you start to put it in practice, that's how you become a Christian. That's a believer in that sense. That's somebody who trusts Jesus. It, it's personal. I can't do it for you. If I, could do, if I could do an act which would make a person into a Christian, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be doing that act. If I knew that baptizing people by water or sprinkling water on their heads made people into Christians, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be going around sprinkling water on people's heads. <laughs> if I knew that dunking them in a bu bucket of water made them into Christians, you know what I'd be doing? Dunking them in bu some buckets of water. But a person has to choose it for themselves. I mean, I think we know this as a basic concept in our ability to choose things, don't we? I can tell you all the right things to do in order to get up early in the morning. But unless you set the alarm clock yourself and put it over the other side of the room so you actually have to get up to turn it off, otherwise it's going to drive you nuts, you won't start to get up early in the morning. I can tell you all the things you do. Do you believe the alarm clock will wake you up? Yes. Do you believe if you put it over the other side of the room, it will drive you crazy if you don't go turn it off because it's so annoying? Yes. Do you believe that if those things happen, you might get out of bed and do it? Yes. Okay, now you know what to do to get up early. You go home, what do you do? Ah, I don't want to set the alarm clock tonight. It'll drive me crazy in the morning. Don't do any good. You can hear the message, but unless you choose to take action over it, stop trusting, stop hoping in the things you used to trust and hope in, and start trusting, believing in Jesus, it won't happen you have to become a christian it's true in every aspect of life isn't it it's true in every aspect of life eating drinking normal human function we have the ability to choose god made us that way god the father planned jesus executed you need to choose and the great news is it says that having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. And so here now comes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you choose to believe these things about Jesus, and not just a head knowledge, but a, a heart affection, a choice of the will, it's, it's you choosing to trust. That's why we prefer the word trust than believe. No difference in the Greek language between trust and believe. It's both pistuo or pistis is the noun. 
but it's this idea of commitment of mind, emotions, and will. Commitment to do the things with it. That's, that's trusting. That's believing. It's not just a head intellectual knowledge. Oh, I think that might be true. But I'm not going to do anything about it. That's not biblical belief. That's not biblical trust in that sense. And so he says, when you do that, you get sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't use seals anymore, do we? But in those ancient days, when you sent a letter, you wrote the letter. And so Paul will have written this letter to the Ephesian church. And it got passed around, as Tim mentioned, to other churches in the area. And so people read it. So it was by 160 BC, that's a hundred and some years after it was written. It was widely circulated amongst all the churches. They, oh, we got a copy of Ephesians. Can you, can you imagine being reading this for the first time? Because it, you know, wouldn't that be tremendous? One of the things we lose as Christians is the ability to read things for the first time. It's a great art. Imagine you'd never read this before. Because a person who isn't a Christian, if you're doing one-on-one Bible reading with them, they've never read it before. And you've got to sort of put your mind in there. I'm going to read this and go, wow, sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you sent a letter... You signed it at the bottom. Sometimes you had somebody writing it for you. So you dictate it. Book of Romans was written that way. You dictate it. And it says who the name's guy was at the end of the Book of Romans who wrote it. He says, I forget his name now. Sorry? Tertius. There you go. Third guy. Tertius. Tertius. (laughs) Tertius. I write this with my own hand. Also send you greetings. Has a little personal note in there, you know. Isn't that cool? (laughs) So Paul's dictating away and his kindness of God that leads you. There's no condemnation. And Israel was all the way through the book of Romans. At the very end, Tertius goes, and I, Tertius, send you greetings because he sent a whole bunch of greetings as well. And then they fold it shut and they get some wax and they put a big blob of wax in there and they stamp it in the middle. And it's sealed shut. And it's only opened by the recipient because you write the name of who's going to get it. And it's opened by the recipient. If it's opened, if you're meant to get it, it's got your name on the front and it's opened before that, you know you weren't the first to get it. It's sealed. And breaking the seal of an important person was a very dangerous thing to do if you weren't the recipient. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's another use of the word seal. The Romans had this, what they call the double seal of the state. So the emperor, it was a double-ended one. It had, it had a seal on one side of it and a seal on the other side of it. And they go, clunk, clunk, and it was a double seal. And when they assigned official documents, it went clunk, clunk, and there was the double seal of Caesar. The Americans have the same thing. If you go to a, a $1 note, you'll see the seal of the United States on one side, and it's got two images. And it's the great seal of the United States. Bump, bump, both sides are on there. Look at an American $1 note and you'll see it. Two sides. And we're sealed. It, it commands, oh, this is the person who's, do, who's sending this, who's done it, who's, who's stamped his approval on it. It's got value to it. A dollar bill has, a, a, has value because it's sealed with the stamp, the great stamp of the United States. The emperor, when he did that, so it's sent and sealed, and it has, it has identity, sorry, it has authority because it's stamped and sealed in that way, and also this idea that it's got, it's got, um, what was that last word I used? Whatever it was. <laughs> sorry? 
value because it's stamped as well. Thank you. It's got destiny. It's got value. It's got authority. We're sealed. You have identity, value, authority because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can live that way, friends. Not in an arrogant manner, not in I'm a better than everybody else manner, because in one sense we're absolutely not. It's because everything that Jesus has done for us on the cross and everything the Father has blessed us with in the heavenly places, the Holy Spirit now seals to us in that way. Sometimes I come across people and I say, are you a Christian? And they say, I think so. Or they'll say, I've tried to do everything I should be doing. And I know straight away that they may or may not be, but I know they haven't got the eyes of their hearts opened, eyes of their hearts opened, to know that Jesus Christ has done this for them. They haven't appropriated for themselves this ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives because they have no assurance of who they are, children of God, of final destiny, of authority in this life because of who they belong to. They haven't realized what it means to be sealed. Paul prays that they'll get that in the next few verses. Friends, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a second ministry which he mentions, particularly of the God, the Holy Spirit in this passage. He says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? Now, deposits are wonderful things to do, uh, less so in this country, but traditionally even in this country as well. When you buy a house, you put a, a down payment on it. You have to have some money down. The bank these days is the one who ends up taking the down payments. But in America as well, when you buy a house, the house might cost $100,000, I wish. And you've got to put $1,000 down. And if you don't carry through with the purchase, you lose your $1,000. That's what happens. So if you really want somebody who's coming and they say they really like it, you put a big down payment on that, on that property so you might get the property. Because people go, they really want it. They put $10,000 on a $100,000 house. They really want it. I'm putting the deposit and it's a big one because you know that if they renege on paying through, they lose it. If you buy a property in this country on auction, you have to put a down payment. And then you promise to buy the whole lot. And if you don't, guess what happens? You lose your money. We have another use, so that's one use of this word in the ancient Greek language. It was also used of an engagement ring. And again, traditionally in our own cultures, you know, when you want to marry a lady, wife, you buy a ring, an engagement ring, and you shove it on a finger. And if you don't follow through, guess what she gets to do? Keep the ring. So a lady knows if you really, if she really means something by having a big fat gold ring, followed by a big fat, no, it's not quite that simple, is it? But the lady is in time. Sometimes I've asked, lady, does anybody have extra, any extra engagement rings around? Because <laughs> it means, it means somebody decided that you weren't the right one for them. It's not an appropriate question. <laughs> but you see the imagery going on. 
It's a guarantee. It's a deposit. The old word in English is an earnest. It means you're committed to following through by putting a down payment that something will happen. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You belong to God. In fact, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't belong to him. That's what it says in elsewhere in Romans 8 in particular. If God doesn't get you to heaven and you've got the Holy Spirit inside you, guess what? You get to keep him. That's what this text is saying to us. He's the down payment in our lives that God is going to see us all the way through from the beginning of salvation, bringing to repentance, to when we believed, to supplying all the stuff in eternity past, the planning, Jesus dying on the cross, the Holy Spirit convicting us, us becoming children, believing and becoming children of God, the deposit on us. He's going to get us. He who began, Philippians 1 verse 7, he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. We will get to where we're meant to be. We will all indeed one day be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God's plan is. Because he wants Jesus to have many brothers and sisters like him. He puts the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. <sighs> My body is getting to this stage in life where I'm, I'm starting to think it'd be good to have a new kind of body. You know, when you're 20, you don't think about that. And when you're 30, you don't think about that. And somewhere around 40, for us as men, you realize that you can't quite keep up with your 22-year-old son anymore. 20-year-old son. My first realization was playing basketball with Tim when he was 16. And it just wasn't happening anymore for me. We liked to wrestle together. And he got to 16, and I had to say to him, son, you know, I'm bigger than you, but I'm no longer stronger than you, and I've got more experience than you, and I'm meaner than you are. I'm going to have to start really hurting you if we're going to keep wrestling. And trust me, I know how to do that. And I don't want to do that. So we've got to, got to play carefully, more carefully when we're wrestling. Yeah? Where was I going with that illustration? Do you remember? <laughs> Tim, help me out. Where was I going? <laughs> Children? Body getting old somewhere 40 to 40 something you get to 50 something and you go in yeah i can't you know you you bend down and you check what else you got to do while you're trying your two laces while shoelaces while you're down there you know <laughs> brother's nodding his head this is great you know tie shoelaces okay what else is down here i need to do while i've got down here you know we get a body in the final redemption, like unto Jesus' resurrected body, Philippians chapter 3. Death is not to be feared, friends. We have the guarantee, the seal of the Holy Spirit, saying that what Jesus did on the cross is going to get us all the way through to being with Jesus eternally, including a new body like unto his own. Ah, the redemption Guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession. We're God's possession. That's us, friends. He's going to get us there. And the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks to us, who guarantees that will happen. And that's why Paul in the next passage is going to pray. I want the Holy Spirit to make sure you got it. 
it's one thing, if you will, to have, have something. It's another thing to use it, and it's a third thing to know how to use it properly. It's one thing to have something, it's a second thing to know how to use it, and it's a third thing to know how to use it properly. You see, if you're a Christian, if you've hoped and trusted in Jesus, you have this. It's guaranteed. It's another thing to know it, and it's a third thing how to know and use it properly, if you will. And that's what Paul is going to pray in the next passage. He said, I want you to get it. I want you to know God more and better. And I want you to start to live it out. And he's going to get to the second half of Ephesians from chapter 3 onwards. And he's going to talk us about how to live that stuff out in a real, in a real way as well. It's one thing to have it. You've got it. It's another thing to know it. And it's another thing to know how to use it properly as well. We need to not just know, but then we need to learn how to live it out as well. Practice our divine authority, practice our destiny in reality. We shouldn't have to be afraid of anything, COVID included, despite the government's nudge department. You know they have an official department that's designed to nudge human beings into certain types of behavior? <laughs> you know? We don't have to fit. I'm not saying don't be, don't be stupid. But we don't have to fear these things, friends. We don't have to fear these things. Our destiny is sure. God's got your days marked out. We have the knowledge of God in us. We know him personally. He's our father. We're his possession. We have identity. We have purpose. We can have meaning in this life. That guarantee because of not just being sealed, but him also being a deposit in us, so it'll get through. And it ends then to the praise of his glory, which is almost where he started in 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father, and 1 verse 6, so the praise of his glorious grace, praise, praise, praise. God's plan, the Father's plan, Jesus carries out the plan, the sun seals it to us. We get to live it out. What a glorious place to be. <clears throat> Ultimately, chapter 3, verse 10, just to give us a scope in the whole book of Ephesians, his intent, because Paul's prayer starts in the next few verses and then stops and then continues in chapter 3, his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And Paul even adds an amen. And people ought to go, amen. <laughs> all this is coming back to the Father. If, can I be just a little bit blunt? If you're not living in the light of this stuff, can I use the word sin? Is that too strong a word to use? You're not living where God wants you to live. He's not living what he's supplied for you to be able to live in. Now, I know it's a journey and you can get there. But especially if you're grumbling and whining and complaining about people, about life, about circumstances, you're not going to be enjoying your salvation. God's not going to get the glory. 
And it's a bit of a sin at that point. And I know it's not always simple, but if you have that root place in your, in your life, you can get there as well. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous preacher of yesteryear, uh, late 1800s, wrote a little book called A Checkbook on the Bank of Faith. Spurgeon believed that the promise of God in Christ is something that needs to be cashed in on a daily basis. <laughs> all these promises, the promises of God, it says in 2 Corinthians, are all yes in Jesus. And every day you should be able to take a promise and cash it in like a check. This one's for me today. This is what I want to appropriate for myself today. This is how I want to grow today. Lord, I'm, I'm, it says to be thankful for the situations. I'm going to choose in the midst of these things. These people are difficult in my life. Trust me, I've been a pastor. People can be difficult. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I fell into the trap of complaining to God like Moses did about the people that he gave to me to pastor. It's a very dangerous place for a pastor to be in. I had to repent of it and get it right so I could live back in the place of blessing again because the Holy Spirit sealed me, given a deposit to me, and I could enjoy his blessings again. So, the Father plans, the Son executes the plan, the Holy Spirit applies it to the believing saint. Do you have the assurance that you belong to the Father, that he's adopted you, that you're walking in your inheritance, that you're blessed in the heavenly place, that Jesus is being exalted in and through your life? You can and you should.